It was good to have the Bylers with us and to have him preach for us that Sunday and and then to have uh, fellowship after the evening service. Had a good time. Thank you, ladies, for that song. It was a great song, just every line packed with biblical truth. I like songs like that. It's it's an amazing thing to think about. Christ <clears throat> became a curse in our place. Christ, Galatians says that. He became a curse in our place. And if you if you want to ever really kind of get the gravity of that, read in Deuteronomy at some point about the curses on someone who rebelled against God. And Jesus never rebelled, but we did. And all the curse we deserved, He took. He took all the sin. He became sin in our place. And... Just listen to the, I'll just give you one verse, two verses out of Deuteronomy 28. The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption and with a fever and with an inflammation and with an extreme burning and with sword, a wake of the sword against thy shepherd. Remember that, Isaiah? And with blasting and with mildew, and they shall pursue thee until thou perish, and the heaven that is over thy head shall be brass. Did he not cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And they, and it says in the earth that is under thee shall be iron. Notice he didn't say, My father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? God put our sins and the sins of the whole world on his son, and he became a curse in our place. And the perfect man hung on that cross for those hours, and there were three particular hours where darkness covered the whole earth, where God dealt with sin in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Son of Man. And God put all our sins on Him, and God poured out curses and vexations and all of His divine wrath against sin on Jesus. And He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus was treated and dealt with like he was someone who only did evil, like he was a rebel in the camp of Israel who had to be thrust out all alone and to die a horrible death. He was treated, he who never did anything wrong was treated like all he did was wrong so that we who have done wrong could be treated like all we've ever done is right and have never done wrong. (laughs) That's justification because he took that in our place. And, you know, that's really all you need to be motivated to please the Lord, to serve the Lord, to be that, that Christian man, that Christian woman, that Christian young person, that faithful church member, that gospel witness. That's it. Think of what Christ did for you. He became a curse in our place so that we could be lifted up like beggars who lived on a dunghill, Psalm says, lifted up to sit among princes. And our God is a, a lifting up God, and it's we're lifted up, 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 all, until ultimately lifted up to be with Him in the Holy of Holies, and the very glory of glories, ultimately. And Jesus prayed for that in John 17. He prayed that we'd be kept from evil, we'd be sanctified through the truth, that we would be one, that in each church there would be an absolute unity, and then ultimately He prayed that we would be with Him right in the glory that He has with the Father. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will receive you unto, what? Myself. Not just coming as guests in His house 
and we kind of, you know, get to see him every now and then, but he's really busy. You ever stay with someone, and they didn't even really have time for you? And, you know, you get invited to their house, and the whole time they're messing around on a phone or something, and you say, why am I even here? You know, I mean, I'm in your house, but I'm not even with you. But no, Jesus is receiving us unto himself, all because of the truth that was preached in that song we just sang. Thank God. Thank God we're saved. In the book of Acts 13, we saw they were church men, characteristics of these faithful men, these certain men. They were word men. They could uh, understand, receive, understand, obey the word of God to the point they could pass it on to others. Then we see they were ministering men. And I'm challenging us, all of us, men and women, to all have our part, know our part, and be those that really make the work of the ministry go forward. Doesn't Ephesians 4 say the pastors are given for the edifying of the saints, that the saints can do the work of the ministry? It's not so we sit back and watch the pastor do the work of the ministry. Well, here we are, it's cheerleading time. We'll cheer our pastor on as he does the work of the ministry. So the church body as a whole does the work of the ministry. All of us, now we're not all, you know, everybody talks today about full-time, part-time and all. Listen, if you're a church member, you're full-time in the ministry. You might work somewhere to pay the expenses, but you're full-time in the ministry. Bless the Lord. They were ministering men. They were busy serving where they were. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Now, Pastor Webb preached back in, I think it was April, back at Midcoast Baptist Church. And he preached about uh, how the Lord, at the end of the tribulation period, he's going to divide between the sheep and the goats. Sheep on his right hand, goats on his left hand. Those that exhibited whether they were sheep or goats during the tribulation. And what did he say made the difference? The sheep were those that took care of the people of God. And Brother Webb drew an analogy from that, an application. And he said if he's going to judge people at that point on that basis of how you treated the people of God, then we know from other scriptures as well, he'll judge us the same way at the end of this age, the church age. How did you treat the people of God? And the people of God, let's bring it right down to your level, on my level. How did we treat people in the church God set us in as the people of God? Did we serve the church of the living God? Say people will do that. Goats won't. Goats are loners. They don't want to fit in the body. Now, we may in many ways be loners. I'm one of those people. I like to be in groups. I also love being all alone. I mean, that's one of the great things about having a motorcycle is you go out, and, and I know you guys, you had Bluetooth in your helmets. I intentionally do not have Bluetooth in my helmets. Nobody can call me. I, I don't listen to the radio, nothing. All by myself, just me and the Lord. And I like to take walks all by myself. I like to go out in the woods all by myself. But I also like to do it with other people. Some people love to be loners all the time. But if you're a Christian, there's things that you, you, you sacrifice things. You give things up. You can't be a loner Christian because you get set in a body. So you can enjoy that time in the deer stand when it's just you and the Lord. You can enjoy that time on the mountain bike, it's just you and the Lord. Or, or maybe you're a spelunker, okay? I knew guys that were cavers, spelunkers. <laughs> it's a fancy word for them. And, you know, go down all alone in a cave. But when it's church meeting time, you're not a loner. And, and when it's really the totality of your Christian life, you're fitting in the body, you're in a covenant body, and you're considering that, and you're ministering to others. They were ministering, they were serving in the church God put them in, the church at Antioch. They were faithful men. You know, a faithful man is not doing what he's doing in the church, or a faithful woman is not doing what you're doing in the church because you're hoping for a position or a promotion. 
some type of recognition. You're just serving the Lord Christ. And if the Lord chooses to have you uh, do something else in the church, well, praise the Lord. If He just leaves you right where you are, praise the Lord. You get to be saved and get to serve in the Lord's church. These men were certain teachers and prophets, and there were other people in the church as well, but these were the certain teachers and prophets. They were just those saved, doing their part, and dependable and available. Availability is one of the most important abilities in life, certainly in the church. There's a lot of abilities I don't have, but even as a young person, I was saved when I was almost 12 years old, I learned quickly, I was taught quickly, be available for anything. Whatever the Lord opens up, just be available. So I didn't get asked to do everything, but I made myself available for everything. And that's an ability every church member can have. We can also, I'll be available. Availability. And then dependability. Nobody should have to stay on my case that I get out the church. If you're saved, I don't need to send the FBI after you to keep you coming to church. I don't need to send the CIA and the police, everybody looking for you, keeping tabs on you. If you're saved, there is a person that lives in you, and that person has great power. He has all power, and he will work in you both to will and to do of God's good pleasure. He'll work in you to want to and to do of his good pleasure, and you, you're, you can just be dependable. You can be, uh, you can be counted on. People don't have to wonder, well, is he going to be here? Is he going to do his part? She said she would take care of this. Will she do it? We'll have to check up on it. We'll have to make sure it really gets done right. We'll have to, probably they'll do it, but they'll leave something undone. No, be dependable. Be the kind of person that can be counted on. Accountable is another, accountability is another wonderful ability. It goes against the American spirit of rugged individualism. I want us to be, as Americans, absolutely rugged individualists. But we're not ultimately citizens of the United States of America. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. You with me? That's, it says it is. It doesn't say it should be. Our citizenship is in heaven. And when it comes to kingdom of God on earth work, now the kingdom is coming, Brother Hoyle, in all its fullness and power and glory when the Lord returns after the tribulation period. But right now in this church age, the kingdom is represented small, locally, simply in what I call the kingdom outpost. It's one aspect of the church. The embassy, the, uh, what, what is it? The Bible says we are ambassadors for Christ. So in the little embassy, the Lord has his little churches everywhere. That's the kingdom now represented on earth. It's that. doesn't look like much to this world, but it's a big deal to the angels in heaven. It's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to the devil. It's a big deal to the demons. I mean, the battle is on between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And whether we like it or not, we're in it. And this is actually huge. You can't get any bigger than the Lord's work on earth, the church. And so uh, when it comes to accountability, it goes against the hu- what, what human flesh likes, but it's actually wonderful to be accountable. One of the great gifts of marriage is accountability. God gave Eve, he brought Eve to Adam, and now Adam has a partner. And there's an, a, a built-in accountability. Not that the woman is preaching to the man and holding him accountable and all. He's to be sanctifying her. But it's just naturally there. If you love someone, you're accountable to them. If you love somebody, your life's an open book to them. It's okay. You want that. You don't want there to be fear. You want there to be perfect love that casteth out fear. And when you're on the church, it's wonderful to have a real church where there's real accountability. These people don't have it in megachurches. 
You can show up. You can not show up. Maybe you have your little group that you're a part of. Pastor doesn't really know anything about you. He's supposedly pastoring a thousand people, two thousand, three thousand. I don't think he really is. I think he's preaching to them. Jesus said a, a, a man has a hundred sheep. That's probably about all one man can handle. About a hundred. You get more than that, you probably better have, uh, even before then, if the Lord blesses, you don't have another pastor. Have one lead pastor, one angel of the church, but you could have a couple that help, maybe two, three. If you're getting more than 100 people, it's really going to be a lot of work for one man. But accountability. We have accountability everywhere in life, and we expect it everywhere in life. But a lot of people don't want it in the one place you need it the most, and that's with the church. The king's business. The king's company. The king's... uh, outpost here on planet earth in the middle of this wicked and perverse generation we get invited to family reunions we say we'll be there we can't make it we feel a pressure to let everyone know i'm actually not going to be there i'm very sorry here's why i can't be there we're supposed to be at work we can't make it we don't think anything of it we let our boss we let leadership know i can't be there here's why we're on a soccer team a softball team a volleyball team I guess pickleball is something now. I hear you guys around here playing pickleball. What in the world is pickleball? Some Gen X thing, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm Gen X. I guess it's millennial or something. Craziness pickleball. But anyway, uh, I, know that's, that's, I know it's got a following in this church. I'm going to hammer against that a few times this week. <laughs> but you know, if you're, if you're scheduled to play pickleball somewhere with someone and you can't make it, you let them know. And you don't feel like, oh, wow, it feels like a cult. You know, I have to let them know I'm not going to be there. No, it's just, it's just being a decent person. And in the church, absolutely normal to say, Pastor, I can't make it. Here's why. Here's a legitimate reason I cannot be there. Pastor, I'll be out of town. Pastor, I've got COVID for the 15th time. You know, Pastor, uh, it's something like that. And yet there's Baptist church folk that they just, they hate the thought of that. You mean to let them know I can't be there? Well, of course. It's just the decent human thing to do. Accountability. I can't, I committed to be at a work day and I completely forgot I'd committed to this. Please forgive me. Um, can, we, can, can we work out some way for me to do my part later? Accountability. It's just built in with anything, any relationship that matters. So hey, if church doesn't matter, then don't be accountable. <clears throat> but if it matters, be accountable. Be accountable. You have a church covenant and you actually keep the church covenant. And you know, it, when it comes to temptation with sin, maybe a sin that that uh, has got some grip on you and is really holding you back in your Christian life and you're really battling it. Maybe you're failing. It's wonderful. It's almost a magical thing to hold yourself accountable with someone else, to give someone else that space and that openness to where they can ask you how you're doing. It's a wonderful thing. Accountability. These men, they were ministering men in a church where they're available, dependable, accountable, happily serving. Number four, they were fasting men. I mentioned it just in passing, but fasting, practicing some self-denial for the glory of God, for the good of the church, the goal of the ministry. Fasting is not a uh, command in the Bible, but listen, it was assumed by Jesus that we would fast. He said, when ye pray, when ye give, and when ye fast, do it like this. When ye fast. Now, not everybody can fast the same way. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, no food or water. On the other hand, Moses also at 120 years old, his vision was not dim. His strength was not abated. His natural force was not abated. So I wouldn't, look, if I fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, there'd be no, but nothing left here. 
I would disappear. 40 days and 40 nights, me without food or water, there would be no Bobby Mitchell. I'd be about, I'd be a piece of dust laying somewhere. You'd be burying me. Um, some people, you have diabetes, you have some other issue, and there's no way that you could, it wouldn't be wise to just not eat food for, for even maybe a day or two. But there's ways we can fast. We can say, I'll give up this particular portion. I'll give up this particular flavor, this particular pleasant bread, maybe this particular activity or something. I'll lay it aside for a particular time, and I'll give myself to fasting and praying for the Lord's church, for the glory of God, for the ministry moving forward. Fasting was practiced here in the book of Acts chapter 13. Fasting was commended in the epistles. And fasting, Jesus said, is one mighty weapon of our warfare. Remember the apostles came up against that spiritual stronghold, that devil, and they could not see that boy delivered. And all night long they fought with that, and they were losing. And Jesus came down and cast out the devil, but he said, Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. There's sometimes when it gets really serious, and we say, Lord, we need victory with us. We need help, and I'm willing to fast and pray. So maybe it's, maybe it's skip a meal, and while everybody else is enjoying that great meal, you're in a room praying. Amen. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. I think it'd be crude and unthoughtful and rude to just, if I just announced right now, I'm fasting through the dinner this afternoon. There's a plan, there's a program, the churches have agreed, we're, we're having a time of feasting this afternoon. I should be involved in that, not just do my own thing. But maybe tomorrow I say, you know, I'm going to, to fast. And, and it's not really fair either when I say, what's for dinner? Well, we're having uh, one of those little things that look like little cabbages. Yeah, we're having Brussels sprouts and we're having those. Okay, well, I feel led to fast tonight. <laughs> what's, what are you having tomorrow night? Well, we're having T-bones, baked potato. Well, I don't feel led to fast then. <laughs> I feel like it's time to definitely feast. But really, you know, seriously... Times when it's appropriate. And the Bible talks about in marriage, with your spouse's consent, it says. Amen? It says that over in 1 Corinthians. With your spouse's consent. But fasting and saying, I'm going to devote this time to fasting and praying about a particular issue. Uh, They were fasting men. They were spirit-directed men. You know, what do we see in Acts 13? As they fasted and prayed, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And when they had fasted and prayed, as they did this, you see God directing. When we're praying, Lord, lead us along. But we don't want to pray. We don't want to minister. We don't want to serve. We just want God to lead us along. That's not how he operates. He, he says, draw an eye to me and I will draw an eye to you. And even as a church, men in the church saying, let's give ourselves to prayer and fasting. When would the men of the church, uh, maybe in particular, do something like this? When the Lord directs the pastor to lead in that. Men, let's get together and pray. Maybe, maybe we could all in some way, to some degree, fast and pray for a day or two. And the Lord will draw an eye and bless and he'll send. They were spirit-directed men. Notice it does not say that there were men of the church just saying, Well, God told me it's time for me to go over here and do a missionary work. That's not how the Lord works. He works in the church. And when there's a gift and when there's a calling and when there's a need to send, God will make it plain to the church. You ever been in these conferences where some preacher says, does anybody here want to announce you're called to the mission field tonight? 
And you know how many times I've seen that where some guy stands up, yeah, God's calling me. And the pastor's sitting there going, oh no. <laughs> this, guy does, this guy's not even faithful to church. We can't even get him to, to help in any way. He's never been accountable around here. He doesn't serve. And now he's convinced he's called to go. It's better to say, if you think the Lord is dealing with you like that, take it to the pastor. Pray about it with him. Pastor, I think the Lord might be laying his hand on me to preach. And then be open to being examined. And the pastor and the church judging and discerning so you don't get out on a limb all by yourself. I've seen churches end up split over that because a very zealous man thinks, I'm called. But the pastor and the deacons and others are saying, it's not there. It's just not there. And so you wait and you pray and you let the Lord work, you know. I've, I've seen men that you'd think, well, they'll never be called. And then the Lord did it. He made it obvious to the church. I've seen men that thought they were, but nobody else in the church saw it. Then they ought not to be preaching. They ought not to be preaching. That's God's way. That's how God set it up. They're directed by the Spirit. Nobody was saying, nobody was demanding, send me, or God told me, so put your stamp of approval on me. But as they focused on what God gave them to do, the Lord moved among them, send them, made it very plain. I knew a man uh, years ago, he informed his pastor and church, God's telling me to go start a church over in this other town. It's over in Tennessee. And um, well, he caused quite an uproar because the pastor didn't see it. And the church didn't see it. And, the, you know, I, I told him, I said, I said, what church is sending you? And he went and just started the church, so-called. I said, well, what church sent you? He said, the Holy Ghost sent me. I said, read Acts 13. Acts 13. The Holy Ghost said, separate me. And when they had fasted and prayed, they sent them. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, you cannot divorce the Holy Ghost from the church. The Holy Ghost working through the church. So he went on his own without any church sending him, and he has made himself shipwreck. Made himself shipwreck. Very sad. It's a sad state of affairs, friends. Let's none of us ever do that. Let's none of us ever get it in our head. I know God wants me to do this. I know I ought to do this ministry. I know I ought to start this. I know I ought to go this direction. And, and, and the pastor and the church is not for it, but I'm doing it anyway because the Holy Ghost told me he does not operate contrary to Scripture. He does not operate with you and me being some loner. We're sheep. We're sheep. We're not wolves. There's no lone wolf in the Lord's sheepfold. They were spirit-directed men. They were praying men. You know, Acts begins with prayer. And Acts ends with preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding Him. Isn't that wonderful? Starts with prayer. And it ends with Paul preaching with confidence. That's assurance. That's, that involves, you know, just having a boldness and an utterance to really preach everything that God has for him to preach. You see prayer all the way through the book of Acts. Prayer is the first activity of the Lord's church after his ascension. Prayer is the immediate response here in Acts 13. They're ministering and they're fasting, which implies praying. The Lord works through that. Separate me, these men. And what do they do? They say, okay, the Lord wants us to send these. We better fast and pray. They don't say, oh, now we clearly know the direction the Lord wants us to go, so we don't need to pray anymore. <laughs> no, now we need to pray even more. Prayer. Prayer also is assumed. When ye pray, Jesus said. When ye pray. Pray without ceasing. 
Someone said in my hearing years ago, and it stung me, it struck me, it was like a sword went into my heart. He said, prayerlessness is arrogance. I thought, well, that's right. When I'm thinking I don't need to pray, I guess I'm beyond Jesus Christ himself. He needed to pray. I guess I'm beyond Paul. He needed to pray. I guess beyond, I'm beyond Elijah. He needed to pray. I guess I must be a really super Christian if I don't need to pray. I've had people, you know, ask me about, well, where in the Bible does it say you need to pray every day? I say the same part where it says you need to breathe every day. Anybody knows you need to pray every day. And by the way, it actually does teach it. Because Jesus said to pray like this, and in that model prayer, brother, he said, give us this day our daily bread. There's your clue. We need to pray every single day. It wouldn't be a bad idea if we prayed like Daniel, morning, noon, and night. Wouldn't be a bad idea if we prayed like David. Wasn't it seven times a day? He had like a schedule, seven. Well, you know, David, he wasn't that busy. He was just, let's see, a, uh, a poet, a songwriter, a king. <laughs> right? He shepherded Israel. He had a whole bunch of wives, had a whole bunch of children. He had all kinds of responsibility. No, he wasn't that busy. Of course he could pray that much. Paul obviously wasn't very busy. He had a lot of time for prayer. The truth is we need to pray. And the Lord will, the Lord, if, you, if you're in the Bible, you'll see and God will convict you. Pray. It's always a good time to pray. They were praying men. And they started with prayer and they kept on with prayer. And you see all of Paul's journeys, pray, pray, pray. He promoted prayer all through his epistles. And we see the practitioner of prayers and the power of prayer all through the Bible. They were obedient men. Let's see, that's number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Obedient men. So the Lord says, separate me. What did they do? They separated them. Now, if I'd have been there, Brother Byler, I'm sorry. Sometimes I'm not the most spiritual person in the room. We're all praying, and the Lord directs us to send Paul and Barnabas. I might have been going, wait a second. Paul's the best theologian we have in the church. He's the smartest guy in the room anytime he's in the room. He speaks more languages than anybody else. He's the one that's got the Roman citizenship, and he's a full-blown Jew and can prove his heritage all the way back to Benjamin. I mean, he is a pillar of the assembly. We cannot send him. He's the best of the best. He's the cream of the crop. You don't send him away. We, we, we send some doofus that can't hardly get anything done, right? <laughs> you know? No. No, actually, you do send the best. When you sent the Francis family, you weren't looking around saying, who could we afford to give up because they don't do anything anyway? You said, we're sending our best. Now, that's not to say that everybody here is not the best, but I'll tell you what, you, you didn't send the Taiwan people say, well, we won't miss them anyway. You're letting the Lord send the very best over to Taiwan, and God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? And then Barnabas, I might have said, oh, Lord, Barnabas is an incredible giver. I mean, he had a piece of land and he sold it, gave it to the church. You don't send that guy away. The kind of guy that will sell property and give it in the offering. And Barnabas is the son of consolation. Is that right? And Barnabas is a good man and full of the Holy Ghost. He's one, and he's the original guy that came up here and saw the grace of the Lord. And really, we you know, organized the church and all. It was never called a church till he got there. And now the Lord is saying, send Paul and Barnabas? I might have been thinking, the ship's going to sink. We're never going to make it now. But the Lord knows what he's doing. And these men, it says, when the Lord said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work run to I have called them. It doesn't say they argued and they debated. It doesn't say they voted or any of that. It says when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent 
them away. We are called to be servants. Jesus saved us to be his servants. And you know what servants do? They serve. They say, yes, Lord. Anytime you say, no, Lord, that will not work because those two words cancel each other out. I think it was Vance Havner that said that. You can't say, no, Lord. Those two words cancel each other. Don't say it in personal life, family life. Don't say it as a church. They were obedient men. God revealed His will. Now they already had the word of God on the matter for Jesus. Well, all the way back in Isaiah, God said that He would use them to be a light to the Gentiles. And you see that all the ends of the earth are to believe on the Lord, even all the way to the isles of the sea. And then Jesus gave the great commission. He said to go and preach the gospel to every creature. So they couldn't sit around and say, well, is it really scriptural? Because you already have the word of God. You know, Brother Hoyle, it's like when people say, you know, I'm praying for an opportunity to give someone the gospel. I'm always thinking there's 7 billion of those out there. Now, I understand we love those times when it's just like this weird divine appointment, you know, and there's just this open book, you know, and then people are going, well, you know, I want to talk with you. And those are awesome. But if we live our lives just waiting for these incredible, almost miraculous open doors, we won't do near the witnessing we could do. It's all kinds of people walking around every day, people we rub shoulders with. And, and, you know, we can figure out how to give them the gospel. One way we could just say to them, I'd like to tell you something. I'd like to tell you the gospel. It's really not that complicated. We don't need to complicate it. We don't need to have a book that thick about how to start a gospel conversation. We could start right where someone is. Jesus sat down on a well. Lady's there. She's getting water. He says, let's talk about water. She's argumentative and everything, but he gets the gospel in. She ends up believing, goes back to the village, and a whole village comes out, and they all listen to Jesus preach, and a bunch of Samaritans, the most mixed up, messed up people probably that ever lived, so confused, so dark in their sin and all, and and thinking they're all okay. They think they have the real temple and the real Passover. They're actually wrong on everything. But a whole village of them comes out, Jesus preaches, and many Samaritans believed, and they said, we believe thou art the Christ, the Savior of the world. These men in the book of Acts 13, they had the scriptures, just like we had the scriptures, go preach to every creature, give the gospel to every creature. And now the Lord, in a unique way, is moving in their midst to send someone out. And so they have the scriptures, and they have the, the circumstance here, the Lord working in this unique by His Spirit, sovereignly working, and they send them out, and they obey. You know, obedience is the great demonstration of faith. If you remove obedience from the faith equation, you've got no faith. Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And every one of those people in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, Brother Nathan, every one of them had something in common. God revealed directly his word on the matter and they simply received what he said and they stepped out on that faith is taking god at his word and doing what it says and so we say well we believe we believe they, they would have all said they believe but he says okay now he moves in them send these men out and so you know they actually had faith for they obeyed they give their biggest giver their best teacher in obedience to the call of god you know when you do that you feel like there's a gap you feel like I know, like sending the Teals and the Getches. You sent the, the Francis family. And, and you feel like, uh, wow, you know, they would be here and we miss them and all. Yeah, but they're there and now the work is getting done there as well. 
And when they have a meeting there and they have two show up, five show up, ten show up, however many, think of, that. Think of all those people showing up here. Well, they're showing up there. And as time goes on and the Lord blesses, Lord willing, they'll see a church established and that church will send another. It's an investment process. You have to understand that and be thankful for that. They were obedient men. Two out of the five certain men in the church were called away. Well, you know, it's going to hit the offerings. The offerings won't be as big. Attendance won't be as big. When you say, let's go out and preach all over Antioch, Paul's not going now because he's gone. Barnabas isn't going. We have two less men going out doing house-to-house preaching and teaching. However, that's going on all over the Roman Empire now and the church at Antioch. You ever think about this? Everywhere Paul went, the church at Antioch was reaping. As people were being saved, they also had a part in the reaping. But it didn't stop there. Anytime someone's been saved here, the church church at Antioch, those folks are in heaven now. They're still reaping rewards because they sent Paul and Barnabas. Everybody that's being saved at Midcoast Baptist Church and the work we have there or over in Taiwan or over in Russia or anywhere in this world, there's one of the Lord's churches. Basically, we all came out of the church at Antioch because Paul got sent out of there and Barnabas and they went and this whole great local independent Bible-believing New Testament Baptist church movement, that's where it came from, they are still clipping coupons on that. Can you imagine when we all get to heaven one day? These are real people just like us. They had jobs. They had responsibilities. They're trying to you know, love their spouse and raise their children. They're dealing with temptation and all. And now they send two of their best out of the assembly. And, and it, it hurts and, and you miss them. And there's that separation and all. And they go through all that. But to this very day, people are showing up in heaven that have been saved and have gone on to heaven. And the church at Antioch can be there to welcome them along with the Lord, the angels, and the other preachers. And all. The church at Antioch. And, and people like us can get there and say, thank you for sending Paul and Barnabas. Thank you. And the same with us when we send. They were obedient men. And lastly, they were team-oriented men. They did not argue over who got to go, who got to stay. How come he gets to go? I have always wanted to go and be a missionary, and now he gets to go. Or how come, uh, how, how come uh, Barnabas didn't say, how come I can't stay right here? I mean, I'm getting, you know, in my middle age and everything. I don't know, is it time for me to go do something this adventurous? They just went. Some are called to be sent and some are called to send. Here's the philosophy we need to all embrace. I'm either called to be sent or called to send. And you don't pit one against the other and say one's better than the other. It takes both. And what a privilege to be in a church where we can shine the light right here and we can give sacrificially and give by grace and by faith to send others around the world. Some are called to be sent and some are called to send. All of the team members are necessary to do the job. I've, I'm sure I've told you before because I tell everywhere I go. My, my brother, Mike, who is five years younger than me, and he's a deacon in the church in Brunswick, he embraced a philosophy years ago. He was maybe 20 years old. And he said he realized if you're, a, if you're saved, you're either called to be a preacher or help a preacher. And that's what he did in Tennessee. He wasn't a preacher. He helped his preacher. He's been back in Maine now for 14 or so years. He helps his preacher. He helps his pastors. We have three pastors. And uh, I'm the one they call the lead pastor, quote unquote. But he helps his pastors. 
and and then we sent one of the pastors away, Pastor Teal, and he helps him. How does he help Pastor Teal? Well, he goes to work. And he trades his time and energy for money. And that's one way he helps. And he puts he puts that tithe and that faith promise in the plate. And as Mike takes that time and energy and he gives that in the workforce and he gets that trade, he gets money, which is a store of value. And it's a unit of currency, right? He takes that, Brother Hoyle, this is so amazing when you think about it. He gives his time and energy, his life, basically. He's giving his life force there, time and energy. And he's giving that money. And then he takes a portion of that time and energy that's been transferred into money, right? Into that store of value. He puts that in the offering. Then that offering goes on the church's account. Part of that offering goes over to Taiwan. Part of my brother's life goes to Taiwan. It's just as much as if he's in Taiwan preaching alongside just as much as if he's in Russia preaching alongside Kevin Jones. It's just as much as if he is out in the West preaching alongside Chris Teal. And the same is true for everybody in this room that ties and gives. If you're involved in sending, you are absolutely having a part. And one day in heaven, when the roll is called up yonder and the saints of God all come in and we're bringing in the sheaves, you're going to see people from all over the world that you helped win. Because you went somewhere and turned a wrench all day or typed into a, into a computer screen, different code. Or you went somewhere and worked at a hospital, you name it. The, the work we do gets transferred into that and we have a part in it. So we don't feel bad if we don't get to be a missionary. And we don't feel bad if we are made a missionary. We just rejoice we get to be saved and be on the team and do the work. These are characteristics of the certain men at Antioch. Now, ladies, if you want to, later you look over in the book of Luke and you can read about certain women that serve with the Lord. And you can consider them and you can be excited about what God did with them. They were delivered women. They were devoted women. They were women that knew their duty and they fulfilled their duty in the Lord's church. And in the church at Antioch, they're high, God is highlighting the men right here. But these men, we don't know of Paul having a wife and Barnabas, but we would assume some of them did. It was very typical, of course, men, especially Jewish men, to be married quite young and to be building a family. We can assume women were there in that church and they were doing their part. Church folk, word of God folk, ministering folk, fasting church members, spirit-directed church members, praying church members, and obedient church members, and team-oriented on the team. We don't all do the same thing, but we all have our something that God has for us. I, I appreciated being at the men's meeting. And I appreciated the uh, Brother Hoyle. And who's the other man that helps with the ki- cooking and all? What is it? Chris. And, and you two, I mean, that's what you're good at that. You guys are good at that. And, and so you devote yourself to that. Somebody was there even to deal with the, uh, the, the folks that run the park. Somebody got the check to the appropriate person. And somebody got uh, the bathroom doors unlocked and, and made sure the hot water was on. I think, you, I think you did a lot of that somebody stuff, Brother Hoyle. And, and somebody arranged, you know, to get a preacher there. And I was the preacher. And I got to preach. And, and somebody brought the wrestling mats over for the little boys to roll around on. I'm <laughs> just, just kidding, guys. And, and, somebody, and somebody made sure, and somebody made sure, and, and somebody had a part. And then it was cleanup time. 
And Brother Nathan said, I'll take five guys to take care of the restrooms. You, 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 you. And yes, sir. And they go do that. And some people were sweeping and some people were taking things out. And nobody's trying to be the big man and the big boss and, and look at me. And, and, you know, and, and nobody's sitting in a corner going, nobody asked me to do nothing. But everybody's just pitching and doing our part. And that's how it is today. That's how it is with the dinner and the nursery. And I want to encourage everybody, be that church-oriented person. Be that team-oriented member where you say, thank God I get to be saved and get to have my part. Thank God we get to send. Thank God we get, we get to serve. Serving in the nursery, don't ever look at that. as like, well, I'm just in here taking care of babies. You are taking care of future servants of the Lord God. You may be taking care of the next pastor of this church. Well, maybe a couple from now. Because you're in your late 50s now, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Maybe a couple pastors from now. <laughs> that might be like fourth generation over there. <laughs> That's what you're doing. You're playing music. You're, when you practice the piano, you're practicing to play in the temple of God. The church of the living God. When you're passing that plate, you're doing so to collect the offerings that go into the treasury of the king of kings. When you're the one that locks up the building, you're serving the Lord Christ. And when you get up tomorrow and go to work, you're serving the Lord Christ as you do that. A lot of the reason you're working is so you can give to him that hath need. And that includes your church. That includes the missionaries you send out of the church. So I want, I want us to think about this now. I, I've done some exhorting and, and some promoting of all of this. I'd like you to, just between you and the Spirit of God, do a little checkup. Ask yourself a question. Am I really a church person? Now, you say, well, I'm, I'm a person. I'm a, I'm a Lord person. I understand Christ gave himself for the church. So if you're a Lord person, I believe you'll do like Jesus and you'll give yourself for your church, for the church he set you in. There's an old question that Lauren Dawson used to ask when he preached. What kind of church would this church be if every member were just like me? You ever heard that? That's powerful. He would say, what kind of church would we be when it comes to singing if everybody sang just like me? Now, we don't all sing as pretty as everybody else. We don't all hit the notes as good as everybody else. But we ought to sing from our heart with grace on our lips. And we don't have to shout it out, but we ought to sing out. We ought to do our part. What kind of church, what kind of giving church would my church be if everybody gave just like me? Hey, we don't all make the same type of money. God doesn't look on an amount. God looks on percentages. That's why he even, God invented the tithe, 10%. That is so equal. That's fair everywhere in the world. That's fair, 10%. And then giving beyond the tithe is according as a man hath, not according as he hath not, right? Giving according to his ability. But what kind of church will my church be if every member had a spirit of giving just like me? What kind of church would my church be if every member prayed just like me? Is the church progressing along because of the prayers of the saints of God, but not really mine? It's a bunch of other people carrying the load. Lord, help us to pray. What kind of Bible knowledge church would my church be if everybody was growing in the knowledge of the Word of God just like me? Everybody's at different levels. But we ought to all be progressing and growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. What kind of church would my church be if everybody was just as thankful as me? Now, that's just a few. You could go on and on with that. What kind of church would my church be if every member would just like me? So, oh, you'd ask yourself that question between you and the Lord. Am I really devoted? Am I really committed? Am I really in it 
Am I set in the body? Listen, this is so important. We are to fit in the body. It's not that we try to make the body fit us. Well, I'm looking, I mean, I'm looking for a church, and they better have all these characteristics. And they better have, and I love it when they say, they better have a youth program, and they better have a lot of fun stuff for the kids. They better have something for the ladies and the single moms. And, the, and they, they have this whole litany. Instead of just saying, I, I need a church that's a sound biblical church, and what I'll do is I'll fit into it. Because it's not about designer church. Somebody say amen. It's not designer church. It's God designed the church and I need to get in it and I need to know my role, my function, my place. Let the Lord set me. Let the pastor help me discern my gift and fit in the body. Are you a church person? The second one, are you a person of the word? Are you someone that's actively involved in being sanctified by the truth? How serious do you take Bible preaching? Do you sit down and say, Lord, I'm opening my mouth wide for you to fill it. Teach me everything I need. How serious are you about Bible reading? Do you kneel down before the scriptures and say, Lord, search me and know my heart. Show me if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Feed me, strengthen me today. Help me to really focus. Oh my, we can read the Bible and not even focus. I've read whole chapters, and if you'd have said, what'd you just read? I'd have to say, I don't even know what I just read. The whole time I'm trying to read, there's all kinds of stuff in here, right? The ram is overrun. Too much, too much ram is being chewed up to use computer lingo. And I have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I just read a chapter of your word. I don't even know what I read. I didn't focus. Please forgive me. And now what? Start over and read it again. Am I really a word person a word of god person am i receiving it to the point that i'm doing it and i can pass it on to someone else that's question two question three are you really ministering as you ought they were ministering men are you really serving as you ought do you have a servant's heart a servant's attitude and a servant's life here am i do whatever you want to do with me lord are you one that will give yourself question four to praying and fasting for the lord's work for the will of the lord to be done Question five, as you're set in the church and praying and fasting, are you happy with how the Spirit of God is leading? Do you want that? Do you ever pray, Brother Robert, oh, Holy Spirit, lead me along? And then he's leading you along and you're going, well, not, not that direction. Lord, lead our pastor and lead the church along. And then all of a sudden, well, I mean, I, I didn't think he was going to lead us that way. I thought it was going to be this. You know, I, I was led by the Holy Spirit, by the pastor to come and preach through Thursday. Now all of a sudden he's saying, the Lord wants us to end on Wednesday. Well, Lord, I was counting on preaching until Thursday. I thought I did so bad in Sunday school, we went to Wednesday. Now we're going to be, this going to be Tuesday. Uh, this afternoon I hear, we're going to be done Monday night, actually. <laughs> no, that, you know, that's part of the Spirit's leading, wisdom. The Holy Spirit, Brother Nathan, never will lead you to do that which is against wisdom. And Pastor Byler is praying for wisdom. His father's passed away. He's preaching the funeral Friday, is that right? I think it's the wise choice that you'd be done Wednesday so you could travel Thursday, be rested Friday, however you work that out, but praying for wisdom. And so how could, how could we say, well, I thought we were going through Thursday and now we're not, and almost be upset at the Holy Spirit. No, we want the Spirit to lead us. So ask yourself, am, am I really interested in the Holy Spirit leading me? leading me to obey the Bible and to practice it in real life. Am I really someone that's a praying church member? And then they were obedient. Am I really obedient? Or do I say, Lord, I'll do your will as long as it's not this. 
And as long as it doesn't look like that, and as long as I feel like it, Lord, I'm willing for you to do whatever you want with our church, as long as it fits my desires and my needs and my wants and all of my wishes. Or is it, Lord, whatever you show us, even this week as we have a special meeting, Lord, whatever you deal with me about, I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. They were obedient men, are we? And then, as I said, they were team-oriented. They were set in a body. It wasn't just them, me, myself, and I. But Lord, what, what do you want for your church, and how do I fit into this? So ask yourself that question. Am I really fitting in? Am I really a team player here? Am I really in this to know my part and to do my part? Am I a church person? Am I a word person? Am I ministering? Am I fasting and praying? Am I directed by the Spirit? Am I happy and obedient to the Spirit's direction in the church? Am I praying? Am I team-oriented? Because these are the kind of people. That's the kind of church the Lord used. And the Lord wants to use us too. And He will if we let Him. Think on those questions as we bow before the Lord and with meekness receive what we've heard.